And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Another episode of Dying Alive where we're going to recap the celebration that was Sidney Crosby's 1,000th game bemoan how old we all are and how father time will come for all of us and we'll also probably talk about some hockey with a special guest this week it's dying alive stay tuned all right jesse marshall athletic pittsburgh i mentioned First of all, we should say Pat, Pat Damp, with me as always. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Jesse. Good to talk to you again, pal. Mike Darnay is out in the world wearing sandals. He just posted a picture of himself <laughs> on Twitter, and I challenged him on this, uh, doing something. He had, a, he had a soda, I believe it was, from Sheets. Sheets has its own brand of soda, Pop now, which, you know, I'm fine with that. You know, he's just, but he's wearing sandals. So I kicked him off the show because nobody wants that. It's February 23rd and replacing him uh, is uh, a man who has become a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a Twitter legend. Uh, you know him best uh, by his Jack Johnson avatar. Uh, it's Jay Fresh uh, stepping in for Mike this week. Jack, uh, thank you for joining us and welcome to the, uh, to the program. Thanks for having me. I, I promise you, I would never wear sandals in a million years, especially uh, not in a Toronto winter. So yeah. you don't have there to worry go. about that. Yeah, I want to start with this, and we talked about this uh, offline uh, before, uh, but to clarify for everybody, because I think some people thought that your uh, Jack Johnson Twitter avatar wasn't necessarily uh, a signal to people that you were like a Penguins fan it was more of like you were just making fun of Jack Johnson. Um, but to clarify, though, uh, you are on uh, R&T Penguin. That is correct? Absolutely. Ever since I was nine years old, sitting on my living room floor a thousand games ago, seeing Sidney Crosby go to the Pens in the draft lottery as a little kid in Nova Scotia, I have been uh, dedicated to the Pittsburgh Penguins for, for better and in the case of Jack Johnson, unfortunately, for worse. But I... I, I would reject anybody's ability to really kind of make Jack Johnson jokes who wasn't a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad to reassure you guys that I did come about it. Honestly, there is no special club that one needs to be a part of in order to participate in such shenanigans. Uh, you could be from anywhere, you know, you just be a hockey person. You don't even have to be a hockey person. You know, make fun of Jack Johnson. Um, question for you, uh, because you're a Halifax guy, right? Through and through. Uh, how how what's the what's the, like the uh, internal Halifax take on Moosehead? Like, do people uh, drink? Do you like drink? Do people drink it and like it there? No, they they really don't. Uh, you'll see it 
throwing sometimes, but I mean, a lot, a lot of people who aren't from the Maritimes don't understand is that Moosehead is not the Halifax beer. Moosehead is the New Brunswick beer. Alexander mm. Keith is the Halifax beer. So really the, the, the connection of the Mooseheads to the team is really one of the most inexplicable things just because they don't own the team anymore, uh, but the logo is still literally just the logo on the Moosehead beer label. So really there's kind of like levels of explanation you need to understand. So New Brunswick why. is where you would go to actually visit the on-site brewery itself. Yeah. Wow, you learn something every day. Literally the Keith's Brewery is down the street from the uh, – from the Halifax Metro Center. So I really, I could not explain that one to you. I always just think of uh, Goon when I think Halifax, though, just because of that movie and how much, how entertaining it was. But also I will say it's good to know that you guys don't, you guys don't claim the Moosehead beer because it's just, it is not good. Yeah, no, definitely not my favorite. Sometimes I'll, I'll grab it as a conversation starter, but uh, yeah. Oh, it's, my, it's my playoff beer, Pat. It's my playoff beer. You know what? I, I get a sticker. Honest, it's, honestly be, it's honestly because um, th- there was a stretch uh, when I still lived, Jesse, when I still lived off of 286 in Plum, mm-hmm. the beer distributor there had it, but every time I got it, it was skunked. Like every single time. No, that's like. You got to blame the distributor for that. You do. It, like I, I had had it before that and enjoyed it, but like after like two three times of it being skunked and buying it i was just i was out i I went back to my good old labat blue are you familiar with the concept of iron city jack do you you know what iron city is i'm uh, i'm not familiar yeah it's a local pittsburgh beer if you ever find yourself in the city of pittsburgh and you want to test your gut you want to find out how strong your stomach is get yourself a six pack of iron or as we would call it iron and uh, see how many of those you can put down before you feel like you're carrying around a steel beam in your side of your gut. <laughs> <laughs> so we should, though, actually get to the festivities that took place on uh, Saturday with Sidney Crosby's 1000th game. A variety of tributes uh, was probably the most shocking thing to me. They had Alex Ovechkin on there. Um, really a who's who, so to speak, of a uh, cast of characters. Uh, did you have a favorite moment? Uh, anyone that made a reappearance that you were excited to see and uh, happy to hear from? I thought it was cool that, like, you know, this was kind of a, a moment where the whole league came together, like, to to wish him happy thousandth game, like, because you know he's still playing, like, and that's all. That's kind of always feels like something that happens for like a retirement or um, a Hall of Fame induction stuff like that. So to see like. You know, Ovi, Stamkos, a few other guys uh, step up and, you know, do a quick little 10, 15 second, like, hey, congratulations, Sid, you're a great player and all this stuff. I think the coolest one to see was Stevie Y, because we all know how much Sid loves Stevie Y. Yeah. Yeah. I I appreciated the candor of Chris Kunitz saying thank you for dragging me around uh, (laughs) the the ice for, you know, X number of years. That was always good, too. Yeah, I think I think Kunis probably should have brought out his gold medal as well and just thanked him personally for that one. But uh, that would have been nice. You know, honestly, like those, those tributes were fun. I did like the thing where they kind of all went to uh, and and did like the the superstition, like the the skate uh, tying thing right in the middle. I do yeah. feel sorry for whoever the uh, 
the equipment manager is who has to deal with uh, everyone's 25 year old jock straps that they all wore to commemorate uh, Sid's <laughs> other but, imagine the smell that went on yeah. there that is i will say uh i'm glad that that specific superstition has been brought into the mainstream like that has always been my favorite uh sydney crosby like superstition there is um there's some season ticket holders in ppg i'm going to shout them out on the show michelle and nancy who have just been season ticket holders for longer than i've been alive probably um and they are the ones that pointed that out to me because they go to every game Right. And they're very meticulous. They keep all their ice times. They're very structured in how they approach the game themselves. So I had uh, years ago, back probably like in 2009, they had said, if you want to like get a real like show, you know, watch what Sid does before the pregame and, and look at the, what he does at the five minute clock. And then I never, never missed it again. So it, it cracked me up because that was uh, that's like my favorite one. You know, it's like the, the quirkiest, the quirkiest one we have access to probably. Well, he used to have he he talked about one he used to have. What was it on bus trips? He wouldn't let his when he sat down. He wouldn't let his feet touch the floor because if they because crossed like he, uh, railroad tracks, that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah, railroad he, tracks. He would pick his feet up and uh, yeah. he got hurt. He got hurt in a game one time when they went over railroad tracks and he had his feet on the floor. And because he's a maniac, he remembered that. Well, I mean, like. You know, the old the other good one that people remember is Mellon Arena had a, like a really weird layout. You know, it was kind of nonsensical. It wasn't a place that was built for hockey. It was built for an orchestra and um, and the opera. Um, but he would have to walk the long way around um, the players' lot so that he wouldn't go past the visitors' locker room on his way to the home locker room. So he would literally transverse basically the entire length of Mellon Arena corridor just to get to his own locker room every game. He still does that at PPG, doesn't he? Like they, I don't they, believe so, Pat. I was telling somebody else this the other day because it's just not the same layout. You don't have to do that anymore. Um, so I don't think he actually has like that. Now he may have like his own route that he takes once he gets in there that's you know specific to him, but it doesn't take him the whole length of the facility yeah, anymore. It doesn't take him the whole length, but I know they did like they showed that on twenty four seven, like when HBO was here that like. He walks in a different way than the rest of the team because he doesn't want to cross the visitors' locker room. Let me tell you a story about being a Penguins fan in circa 2000. This is probably my favorite of all of the um, Mario Lemieux rumors that existed, and there were many. But at the top of Center Avenue, okay, above PPG Paints Arena, where Center Avenue meets. It's a little side street. I actually, I don't even know what it is, but St. Benedict, the Moore church sits at the top of the hill. It's a very large church. The top of it has a big statue of St. Benedict looking down over where their arenas are. There was always a rumor in the 2000s that Mario had his own secret exit to Mellon Arena that took him underneath the hill and out a tunnel behind St. Benedict, the Moore church. It allowed him to avoid all of the traffic and craziness in the players lot um i don't think that was true but it was always fun to imagine that there was like a lemieux tunnel that came out underneath the church that you could like bypass all the people of. Yeah, I, I like the idea that the the team could barely stay in town but they could like excavate <laughs> an entire tunnel just for one player to get in front of traffic but i yeah. do appreciate that. 
<laughs> redid, redid the entire city's infrastructure. Specific. That's actually why they almost went bankrupt. People yeah, don't realize it was in the lease. They traded Yager. They traded Yager so that they could have the extra couple of mil for the for the tunnel. <laughs> but he wasn't even using at that point. <laughs> um, like, oh, we can find. It's like uh, that project that you see in your town that's been, you know, for us it's Route Twenty Eight that's always been under construction. They traded Yager. They're like, oh, we can finally finish it. Yeah, but nobody uses this anymore. Who cares? We can finish it. What's the perpetual construction area in Toronto, Jack? Uh, we've had a, a subway to the suburbs, uh, to Scarborough, uh, in the works for a while. Uh, I think we're now shooting for around 2030 that it's going to be done. So uh, I, I'm a relatively recent adoptee of the city. I only moved here in 2013, but uh, I, I've been hearing about that one for a while. So I only need to stay there nine more years for it to become, to become reality. So. Yeah, and, um, and I'm never going to live there, so I don't even have to worry about it. Perfect. Um, the game itself... Um, and I mean, you know, I think you, you, you know, to assist, I, I almost feel like that's like more poetic and more appropriate for Sidney Crosby than having a goal on a thousands game is to give him the dual apple. It's like, a, I don't know, to me, like a much more Crosby like experience, I think. Um, but I think another in a line uh, realistically of uh, Penguin performances that are growing somewhat more encouraging as time goes on um all the mess aside of the of the craziness of the celebration um what do we make of the game uh, and what do we make of uh, uh Sidney Crosby's night overall the fact that the pens keep winning despite having a lot of games where they're not on the right side of the ledger when it comes to shots or scoring chances or anything like that you know, there's there's definitely a way to be discouraged about it. But in a short season, I really don't think that we have time to uh, to be too upset about that. You know, especially when you're talking about a team like the Islanders, who are pretty primed in terms of, you know, like they are the team that you would expect to be collecting as many banked points in a short season as possible. And they have been super airtight when it comes to uh, defense. I mean, the fact that the Penguins, even if they weren't exactly piling up goals, have been able to scrape out those two wins against them uh, and, and get encouraging signs in the goaltending, I think is something to celebrate. So there's still a lot under the hood that needs work, but I, I mean, I will take anything that I can get in terms of this team getting its way to that fourth or third seed in the division. Yeah. And, and I mean, really go ahead, Jesse. No, you, you please. I mean, I was just going to kind of reiterate what Jack said, you know, the biggest thing for me lately has been that they're stockpiling points like in, the East Division's pretty close right now, so the more points you stockpile, the better. And considering we're in a sprint to the finish here and not a marathon like we normally are, like you know, we're not asking how. We're just asking that we did. We're just seeing that we did. So, you know, I, I'm not encouraged by what the team has uh, shown as a whole. But if they keep winning, then I can't be too upset. <clears throat> it was a bad night for people who um, are enjoying Crystal Tang not playing at his best. Uh, that was probably uh, the best performance he's had to date and needed. I mean, we've you know we've all discussed this independent of each other, but uh, um, realistically, just has not been one of the top three even defensemen on this team. You know, the goals are great. That's all well and good, and, and you're happy about that. But uh, it, that's and it's necessary. I mean, you know, you need that. Uh, that that's you know that's that's necessary out of him. You know, you don't want him going an entire year without scoring. But moreover. Um, you know, just his play at five on five and uh, the performance he had there was just so much better. I, I do want to mention uh, as well, uh, if we're talking about uh, things to parse out, uh, you know, as far as Sidney Crosby is concerned, uh, 
I don't think I think we're at a point where it doesn't matter who we put up there with Crosby and Gensel. Like you could put Craig Adams up there right now, like 50 year old Craig Adams. And he'd probably put in 12, like I, you know, the captain in rust. It, I mean, I think there are varying levels of that line being good. Uh, but I almost feel like the connection between Crosby and Gensel is immune, uh, to anything sort of throwing it out of whack. Oh yeah. It's, it's absurd how good those two are together. I think personally the best third, uh, third amigo for that line is Brian Rust. Um, you know, I think Kapanen's found himself a nice little home with, with Malkin, but, uh, I think overall, like, you know, you, you're right. Like Crosby and Gensel just have it. Yeah. And, and this team has just been so one line this year. Like it really has been Crosby and Gensel and whoever they're playing with and then everyone else that, you know, as funny as it is, Jesse, that we were joking about, oh, they're going to you know, the Kapanen Malk or Kapanen Crosby experiment is going to be over by Valentine's day. And then it turned out to be kind of the other way around where it was Kapanen Malkin. And now after Valentine's day, they're trying him out with Crosby, but I mean, you just got to try to wring anything you can out of Malkin and, and that bottom nine in general. And, and if it takes putting Brian Russ down there to get a pulse from, from Malkin and Zucker, then so be it. Even if it breaks up a line that uh, has been working really well. I, that's the thing about Brian Rust is, is he's really just kind of been the straw that stirs the drink on any level. And it doesn't really matter where you put him. Um, I, I mean, the confidence that he's got right now in his ability to carry the puck, cross the blue line with it, um, you know, not concede to, you know, the perceived more talented players, I guess you could say on the roster. Um, that's all super encouraging stuff. And, and you know, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where the direction this you know, Kapanen and Gensel Crosby train goes. Um, I think, I think there's potential here for this thing to have some fruit solely because his game is so simplistic. There really isn't anything complicated about it. It's, it's, it's North, it's fast, it's physical. You know, I, I look back at the goal he created off his four check, the one that Crosby got credit for on the tip in, you know, that was really partially a result or a lot of a result of his, his forechecking. So, you know, it, uh, maybe I overplayed, you know, his ability to fit in and his, and his ability to think the game and, you know, his confidence in that area, but it's still early. There's still a lot we haven't seen. Um, it's, it, it is, I will say this, it is almost very, um, Dupuis like in a sense, his role, right where it's just very simplistic and very straightforward, but maybe that's a, maybe that's a necessity for him. Yeah. I mean, you talk all the time, Jesse, about the Penguins emphasis on video. I mean, if I'm the Penguins video coach ever since the minute Kapanen gets acquired, I am sending him video after video, emphasizing that he needs to use his speed to be a four checker. And, and that's not something that was hugely his role, at least not consistently in Toronto where he was kind of more the skill guy. Uh, you know, the, the puck carrier type. But I, I mean, if, if he's able to take the physical tools that he has and turn into that kind of puck retriever, four checker guy for Crosby and Gensel, then that totally changes the equation from, I think, the pretty fair assessment that we made in the summer of how he's played the game in the past 
you know, it, if he can make that transition, then yes, he can be the third wheel on that Crosby Ketzel line. Uh, it is just a matter of him doing it. And hopefully what we saw from him uh, in, in the last game is a positive indication that, that that is a role that he's willing to fill and not only, you know, able to. Well, the video coaching is one thing, Jack, but the other, the other place he's going to be getting that feedback from is for the captain himself, um, who is just full bore on the feedback side of the game. Uh, I looked this up and found it because I was thinking of it over the weekend and, and just in reference to this conversation. Uh, Chris Kunitz anecdotally, all the way back in 2010, 2011-ish, telling a story about a, 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 one of the longest shifts of his career. Um, so he's out there with Crosby. It was a typical thing. You know, they were out there for, you know, minute minute 45, you know, really long shift in the offensive zone. And they get back to the bench, and, and Crosby looks at Kunitz and says, should I have shot that one? And Kunitz said, the only thing I could think of is we were just out there for two minutes. <laughs> like, we executed, you know, 18 to 20 cycles down low. Like, which one? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just you expected him to just know, you know, like, and that's, you know, it's like in a nutshell, I think, like the Crosby experience. So if he needs that help, um, I don't think that uh, Crosby would be too shy about providing it. Yeah, and and you know you guys are both absolutely right on the on the captain thing is just it needs to be straightforward speed and forechecking like as long as he plays in that role and plays that way like he's gonna find success with Crosby or even Malkin you know because Malkin has had success with guys like that as well I mean he's got a trigger man in Zucker uh, you know despite their struggles so you give somebody one of those two that has straight line speed and can be a relentless four checker that's that's exactly what those two need uh the penguins will play the capitals tonight uh going to back to back again them against them again washington has had some hiccups jack i was looking at um one of my favorite things on your patreon page is uh, your team cards um uh, and you have an offense uh, uh and shooting comparison um sort of like a team valuation on there i you know what i didn't know uh, about the Capitals is, you know, for all the Penguin struggles and, and the perceived, you know, uh, issues that they can have, the Capitals are not much better than the Penguins are really <laughs> offensively speaking and seem like they have their own, especially with regards to shot generation. It seems like they have their own sort of uh, issues going on, so to speak. Yeah, they're, I mean, they've been very similar teams offensively, actually. Uh, the difference being that the Capitals have the best power play in the league and the Penguins uh, do not, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's, there's similar stuff going on. I mean, uh, neither team is, is getting very many shots. They're both in the bottom third of the league in that regard. Uh, and, and their quality has been even worse. Like, they've been forcing stuff from the outside quite a bit that that front of the net, you know, uh, what you might uncoincidentally call the Patrick Hornquist part of the, of the uh, rink is not being filled in by the Penguins offense right now. And, and it's putting, you know, not only Pittsburgh, I think Washington is having the same problem. Like they're both in the basement when it comes to scoring chances. Uh, and at the same time, I mean, they, they have the skill uh, and, and you might also say uh, uh, some, some pretty fortunate luck. Uh, to be scoring goals at five on five, despite that. I mean, the Penguins are fifth right now in goals above expected, and the uh, the Capitals are uh, are first in that category. You know, these are two skilled teams that can can put the puck in the net, but I think they're also firing maybe on a cylinder above you know what they might actually be sustainably generating. Uh, but it, it it is interesting, definitely how similar they are. 
I wanted to get your take on this, Pat, because, um, you know, Jack points out this, and that's a great point about this void that, that exists. I guess we could call it like the black hole <laughs> that's bare in the slot for the penguins. I, I think, you know, it stands out on a micro basis because night overnight you're looking. You know, I go to natural stat trick and look at shot maps every night to see where shots are coming from. And it's just, just consistently the penguins are struggling to get them from that area. Uh, you know, specifically, though, if we really start to drill down into this, um, one, I think, line, and we hate to go back to this well again, Pat, but the Malkin line in particular um, has really struggled in this area, which I think is surprising given the fact that, uh, you know, Jason Zucker and Evgeny Malkin are two players that you would generally expect to be located in those areas pretty frequently. Well, yeah, and today, coincidentally, I also read, I finally got around to reading Dom LeCision's piece on The Athletic about what's going on with Malkin uh, this year and if the clock's ticking on him being an elite player. And, you know, as much as I like to clutch my pearls as a Penguins fan and be like, how dare you, sir? This is Evgeny Malkin. You will say nothing ill of Evgeny Malkin. But it's a discussion we got to have, and he brings up a good point. You know, if you watch Malkin's game this year and you check his, his shot maps, he's not going to the middle of the ice, like, at all. And that's what he does. Like, that's part of what makes him Evgeny Malkin, is that he will physically overpower players and go to the middle of the ice. But you look at the way he's shooting this year, and he just shoots from the outside. And that's not where Evgeny Malkin thrives, and it's not where the Penguins are going to thrive. So for him, like, I don't know what it is, but something's got to click and something's got to get going here to where Gino decides, okay, I'm going to take a game over and I'm going to actually go to the middle of the ice and shoot. And Jack, I don't know if you've checked the micro data on this, and I know you know Corey is working tirelessly to get everybody caught up, and we're not quite complete on where uh, the games have been played yet. But when I look at those shot, that shot data, and I see where those shots are coming from, to me that is just wholly symptomatic of a line that's not generating a lot of elongated shifts at even strength. Um, those the locations on the shot maps uh, are are places that you take shots from off the rush. Uh, you know, generally speaking, um, I, I don't know that it's necessarily even a situation where they're being bullied to the perimeter uh, as much as I think that sometimes they're just too much one and done in their approach. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you can extend it. Obviously, Dom had that piece where he looked at Mulkin's personal shot map. You know, you look at the on ice shot map, you look at where Zucker's shooting from as well. I mean, there is just a yawning uh, chasm right in front of the net where you know, nobody is just getting any chances and they're all coming from that outside area. Uh, and, you know, some of that you could maybe attribute to, you know, the right wing on that line. You know, there's a lot of kind of red on the right side of that chart. You know, you might be looking at a guy like Kappen and maybe forcing some shots from the outside as well and, and that not helping things. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, that line just is not able at this point to generate anything. And, and it is inexplicable i think based on their previous record you know you, you would think that a line with malkin and, and jason zucker on it would have no problem getting quality chances based on what we know about these guys but that that just hasn't been the case this year and, and i think there's something to be said for you know both the issue with malkin himself just not physically getting to that spot in front of the net and and there not being a lot that zucker can do to kind of force those chances to happen uh and, and maybe that's an area where Rust is going to help them out. You know, Rust is, is also a, a nice quality shot generator. Uh, he's able to get to those dirty areas. You know, maybe having him on that line will be able to unlock something where, you know, Malkin and Zucker can create more around the perimeter and Rust will be the one to benefit from those rebounds and stuff. But, 
Yeah, I mean, like that is really the central problem going on with Evgeny Malkin right now uh, at a macro level. And, and I mean, the Penguins are dead on arrival if, if he's not clicking at, at a proper capacity. And, and that needs to be the priority is putting everything possible in place to make sure that he can get back on track. Penguins are also dead on arrival if they don't have goaltending. Um, that much is for sure. Uh, I think that uh, they could survive. Uh, and then I, we, whether we've said this, this is like the motto of the podcast, the Penguins can survive on fine as far as it comes uh, to goaltending. They're like, so, and again, we'll, I've plugged your, by the way, we're going to repeatedly plug Jack's Patreon page throughout the course of the show because uh, it has filled, uh, I think, a, a void of good uh, a visualization in a lot of areas with some other places that have recently shut down. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that more later. But uh, one thing that is happening uh, on your goal, save the bugs expected visualization, Jack, is Tristan Jari is slowly but surely digging his way uh, out of the basement of the National Hockey League. Um, it, I know sample size, look, I mean, that's the really sample size is the entire story of Tristan Jari's whole career. Um, you know, you have a set of games, you know, leading up to the all-star like game last year that were very, very good. And then a set after that, that were, were pretty bad. And then, um, some of the same in a microcosm this year, but, uh, encouraged so far, I think by what has been going on in the last week and change. Uh, and it seems like, uh, you know, before too long, uh, when you talk about Tristan Jari, you'll have to mention Carter Hart in the same breadth because they're really not that far off from each other right now, given his recent performances. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we, we talked about this a bit off mic in the past that, you know, Jari was right at the bottom of the league in goals saved above expected, uh, just maybe even a week ago, if, if not two weeks ago. And, you know, I think yeah, just had to frankly look at it and say, is Tristan Jari the worst goalie in the in the NHL? And the answer to that was probably no. Uh, was he the best goalie in the NHL, uh, in, you know, after January? No, he wasn't that either. But, you know, like you said, the Penguins can can feast on fine and in, in the past little bit, Jari has done a, a really nice job of, of picking himself up out of the basement. Like he's still below expected, you know, regardless of the metric you look at, but you know, after the season start that he had, like it was always going to be a while until he managed to get himself out of there. And, and if he can just stay at the level that he's been kind of overall of the past two or three weeks, you know, really the kind of catastrophic goaltending that has made life terrible for the Penguins is, uh, is, is going to erode. And uh, I, it's a really encouraging sign. And, and I think a, a decent lesson as there always are when we look at goalies that uh, anytime you try to make any kind of ironclad prediction about goaltending, you are always going to end up looking like a moron, uh, you know, whether it's a year later, two weeks later, one game later. Uh, and, and I think Jari is, is hopefully, you know, again, you could count this as a prediction and maybe I'll end up looking stupid, uh, you know, one podcast later, but he's looking a lot better. And, and hopefully for the Penguins sake, that actually means something. And it's not just a, a little hot streak again. I've, I've definitely been encouraged by his last couple of starts. I mean, you look at his last three, he makes 30 plus saves. Uh, one of them was a losing effort. But, you know, when your goalie makes 30-plus saves, he's doing his job, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's pretty or not. If you make 30 saves in a start, you've done your job as a starting goaltender. Now the onus falls on the defense to uh, prevent the quality chances and the offense to give you some run support up front. But I- I've been encouraged, and I was with you guys at the start. You know, I was very worried about um, 
if keeping Tristan Jari was the right decision. I mean, really, if keeping any, either of Murray or Jari was the right decision, despite how how deep in my heart Matt Murray was for the two Stanley Cups. But, you know, there was a time here where we went from thinking, okay, if nothing else, the Penguins have depth at goalie, to now we're like, do the Penguins even have a goalie at this point? So it's encouraging to see the way he's he's bounced back over the past week. Globally speaking, looking around the league, it's not a situation you want to have to solve for right now. I mean, you just had the Minnesota Wild. Uh, you know, granted they were in a you know COVID situation as well, but prior to that, I mean, you know, Talbot was hurt, and um, then they had their backup go down, and they were down to like number four, I think, at one point. So this isn't exactly like a super available commodity here, right? Like <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna waltz out and just fix this problem. Um, if you're on Hextall without, you know, paying a, a decent price for it. So I, and both, but both, both literally in trade and money, money wise for that. Cause you look at some of the names that have come up in, in discussion and one is flurry who, you know, while it would be nice to have the reunion and everything, he's carrying a $7 million cap hit. And then the others, I've heard people throw out the name, Jonathan quick. And it's like, he's not been good since. 2011 and he's making way too much money yeah yeah that's like uh imagine a team with like the matheson contract on it and then like they're paying jonathan quick too like it'd just be you put that one in like the meme hockey museum somewhere like like hang that hang those contracts up next to each other i think that does have to be remembered with jari and you know like we already said like he's he's been doing very poorly by the like above expected metrics that all like adjust for shot quality and stuff like that. But it is worth remembering that. I mean, he has faced a tougher workload in terms of the, the quality of shots the Penguins are allowing than almost any goalie in the league. Like if you look at kind of the, the ranking of guys who have faced more than, you know, we'll say 150 shots against, like there are four goalies who have faced harder quality shots than him. And two of them play for the Senators and one of them plays for the Canucks, which is never a company that you want to be in. Yeah. Um, so you know, even if Chari did definitely underperform expectations, I mean, the Penguins have been just allowing teams to waltz into the offensive zone and, and, and especially into the slot. And I think that that needs to be a much bigger priority than kind of fretting over, are we going to acquire, you know, a goalie who's more expensive and even worse than him in like in Jonathan quick, or are we going to sell the farm to, to get Mark Andre Fleury back? Didn't somebody in the golden Knights front office say on the internet yesterday or today that they wanted him to retire golden Knight now that that was like the new, that was the new thing they were saying that we want him to retire here. It wouldn't surprise me. I, Coming like, a long way from like your agent posting photos of you with a gigantic broadsword <laughs> coming out of your heart, right of your aura. I have that saved on my. Phone. I have that. Sa- I have that saved on my phone, and I'm never deleting it. Yeah, even saved on your phone. You put like Mike's head on there. <laughs> oh, I should. That'd be a good Photoshop. Throw yeah. Darnay's head on there. I mean, anytime, anytime, anytime he misses an episode, just have Darnay <laughs> on the sword. Here's how we fail, Mike. We just, I mean, we just have to keep learning the lesson that all you need to do to get full forgiveness in this league is play well. Like Mark Andre Fleury has been one of the best goalies in hockey so far this year, you know, in a very small sample, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, you could connect it to Tony D'Angelo. You know, there's a reason that things started to go south for him when he started getting walked on 
on uh, breakaways. I mean, you can get yourself a lot of leash by playing super well. And I feel like if you're Marc-Andre Fleury and the Golden Knights, you know, hey, if he's going to keep playing at Vezina level for them, I'm sure they'd be more than happy to uh, not send him out with a first-round pick as a captain. Right. Um, on that note, too, uh, you mentioned Jack uh, playing well recently and getting a pass for it. Mike Matheson. Ooh. We had the that last Islanders game was like the full roller coaster of the Mike Matheson experience, like total meltdown disaster. Uh, defensively, uh, preceded by brilliant skating distribution, a pass to himself off the boards, which is like some galaxy brain stuff. You know, like I actually refused to believe that he did it intentionally at first not because I, I think like he's incapable of that or he's stupid but because it's like you gotta you gotta trust the boards to do that you know what i mean like you gotta know those boards because if you try that and it doesn't work like you're screwed you know it's just kicking out and you're done though so i don't know at first i was like nah maybe but then everybody kind of bought into it right away and i was like all right maybe he did do it like right? i gotta give him credit for it i guess that's insane yeah and he he has done pretty well and we talked about it on the pod before uh or maybe it was offline i can't remember but the biggest thing we've talked about it overall on the podcast before is that one of the things the penguins have done well with defensemen for the most part in the past five six years is letting them play to their strengths and do what they're good at not trying to go square peg round hole here like Matheson's game is puck movement and skating and they're letting him move the puck and skate. So, you know, he may not be the best defensively, but that's not what really we're expecting out of him. So if he's, if he's exceeding in the area of puck movement and skating, I'd like to see him be better defensively, but I understand where his bread's buttered. Yeah. I mean, he plays the game with the confidence of someone who was given an eight year contract for no reason. Like he is just, (laughs) anything out there like it like almost as though he's just like doing for fun like it's like when you like go to a uh like an open shinny or something at a rink that you never go to so you don't need to worry about having come up the next time you show up and so you just try to deke everybody and sometimes it burns you like he you know and and, and i mean it's it's fun to watch kind of impartially as, and, and when it works it's awesome you know, he's going to turn the puck over all the time. He's going to get burned constantly. He's going to give up that slot area. But, you know, he's also going to do really nice things for you in terms of skating and entering the zone with possession of the puck. And sometimes it's going to pay off like that. And there's going to be a whole lot of kind of, like I feel like his tenure with the Penguins, whether it lasts two years or five years or seven years or whatever it ends up being, you know, he is going to be constantly confusing us. I feel like he is going to be, making us have these conversations pretty regularly where it's like, well, sure. He was responsible for three goals against, but did you see that spinorama bar down backhand goal that he shot from the point, you know, like, like that's just the kind of player he is. And, you know, I mean, we're locked into the contract. We might as well at least have some fun with it. Um, looking ahead uh, at the road ahead here, uh, this division, by the way, is just a nightmare. Um, Matt, but we have to mention, let me, let me rephrase the NHL mass mutual. Each division is a nightmare. You hear those checks coming in, Jack, you don't know yet. We, we're, we don't have a sponsor with mass mutual, but it's coming. I can hear, I can just hear somebody (laughs) smacking the cash register every time Jesse says it. It'll be like like, those 80s montage movies. 
You forgot to say the uh, the Scotiabank JFresh Patreon. <laughs> My mistake. My mistake. Um, Boston, uh, 21 points. Uh, Washington, 20, uh, excuse me, Boston, 24 points. Washington uh, Islanders at 21. Uh, Penguins and Flyers at 19. Oh, by the way, the Penguins and Capitals play themselves uh, or play each other themselves. They play each other uh, uh, next two games. We're recording before the, the 7 p.m. game tonight. Um, I, I, you know, I still think Boston's the class of the field here, but they're certainly not running away with it yet. Well, first and foremost, we're going to treat uh, the Washington and Pittsburgh games. Uh, this is going to be the DJ Khaled series because of that, Jesse. This is going to be the you played yourself series because sure. that's kind of how you phrased it. But yeah, you're right. I, Boston is I they're probably the best team in the Mass Mutual East Division, Ching, and uh, but they're not running away with it. Like they, like they're very much they're very much within striking distance uh, for the Caps. And I mean, you look at you know the Penguins and Flyers are at 19 points. One good week, and all of a sudden they're nipping at Boston's heels, or maybe even overtaking them. So, it's this is like we kind of predicted at the start. It's going to be a dogfight. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm super high on Boston. I mean, they are they have like a plus fifteen goal differential, uh, which makes them somehow. I don't even know how this mathematically works, but they are one of two teams in the division that has a positive goal differential. Uh, it's them plus fifteen, and then the Islanders plus one, and then everybody else is at zero or lower. So. I mean, like the Bruins are a legitimately awesome team and it would not surprise me if they do run away with it. But in a season as short and stupid as this one, I don't think we can rule anything out. You know, for the time being, I think the Penguins need to set their sights on on the Capitals and Islanders and just take as many wins as they can against those two teams. Because that is really, I think, the the class that they're in right now uh, when it comes to, you know, if you look at points percentage and, and stuff like that, you know, if they can beat out Philadelphia, then that's just an extra bonus. But I, I think it's pretty clear who the competition is right now. And, and the Penguins have been doing their job in terms of banking a decent number of points against those teams. And, you know, God willing, they'll be able to do it tonight. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We have to spend time before we get to the people, which we love to do. And we have many a question uh, for the for the panel We've got to get into this Coyotes thing. Um, uh, First of all, Katie Strang, who's like the Wayne Gretzky of hockey reporters at this point, um, put out a piece last week um, uh, really diving into a culture of horror uh, that's going on uh, in Arizona. 
um, you, you know, it gets into uh, some of the departures from the organization, uh, the attitude of leadership, uh, the franchise looking to renege on financial obligations, both to people and companies, uh, sexual assault allegations, uh, workplace bullying, uh, financial disarray. Uh, I think I've covered most of it. Well, I got I to gotta Tarantino this and start at the end. The Coyote statement after it came out. Like, two things on it. One, we don't need to deal in whataboutisms, guys. I don't need to hear about all the charity work that they do and all this nice stuff they've done in the past. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the argument. That's not what we've been discussing. And secondly, Katie said in her article, time and time again, the Coyotes, when reached for comment declined like if you didn't want any of this happening comment or at the very least while you're waiting for the piece to come out form a better statement that says we deny this this didn't happen this isn't gonna be this this isn't who we are like all of that stuff like the fact i've never fact, i've never pat read a statement that was supposed to be in a like a clarification or not an apology right because it's not what this was but like a statement of innocence that also included, like, let me tell you how honestly great I am while I'm declining, like, all of this. Like, not only am I denying all of these things occurred, let me tell you how f- absolutely phenomenal I am and provide zero substance well, while doing well, so. The, the, the other thing to that is, like, in, in their statement, too, they didn't deny any of what she said. None of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it was – I honestly enjoyed that uh, – that note quite a bit, especially out of kind of the, the dark depths of where that article ended up going, you know, like that was definitely up there with the, uh, what, what were the names of the, of the meetings? It was like the pack pack meets or something. Yeah. So in the meeting, uh, itself, you could get a howl out, right? The actual, the coyotes themselves, this is from Katie's article. The coyotes hold a monthly, I think, I want you to think about this. If you work in a job, that has a cubicle or you're behind a desk or you're whatever. Think about this. The Coyotes hold a bi-monthly company-wide call, quote-unquote, pack update, which include departmental happenings and activities and, quote-unquote, howl-outs for certain achievements. The constant reinforcement of the concept of family on these calls has become hard to square with reality. So your glimpse into uh, uh, the corporate hell uh, that is going on in Arizona is that they're having pack meetings with how outs? Do you think you get a sticker if you get a howl out? I hope so. I, I hope what so. I'm curious about, I need some audio of these uh, of these calls just because I want to know whether howl out is said in like a very chipper, like fully excited voice or whether it's said like totally just dead voice. Like, all right. And the uh, the howl outs for the month. Uh, we're gonna go. <laughs> like, I don't you actually, actually know what would be funnier. If you have a howl out, you actually have to howl when you deliver it. It's it's a requisite of the delivery. Oh. You know, you know, good and goddamn well, they make everybody in that meeting howl when they yeah. give a howl out. You know it. They throw I, I raw loved, meat on the table too. You actually have to consume. <laughs> I, I honestly, I loved that 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 statement that 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 was talking about. The first one was the "We're going to sue you. You committed email crimes or whatever." And then the second one was just like a cover letter for Alex Morello. Like that was like the biggest like like tonal change in any statement that I've seen in a very long time. Um, it's worth mentioning just while we discussed this, that in Katie's work, she did reference the fact 
that she uh, spoke to over 50 people, uh, sources both a part of the organization, previously a part of the organization, or were dealing directly with the organization. So this isn't like she just called someone, like a, a singular disgruntled employee and said, give me all the dirt. You know, like this was a thorough – there were details that existed in the piece that wouldn't have been had if, um, you know, she had statements, you know, about the accuracy of financial documents provided to third parties, accuracy of financial reports the organization sent out to, to the league, um, appropriation of monies from the industry growth fund. Um, I mean, these, these is like, you know, you know, this is stuff you just pull out of a hat. Yeah. The, and one of the, well, first off, like to respond to what you said, Jesse, a story like this and a journalist like Katie Strang is going to give the Arizona Coyotes ample time and opportunity to respond. Like they're not just going to run this. This is a story that gets worked on for months at a time. Right. The number and, one rule of PR, Pat, is don't let somebody else write your story. Yeah, right. But but a, a journalist like Katie Strang is going to make sure that, like, she hears from the Coyotes or at the very least gives them an opportunity to respond to it. Because, like, you know, not, def not defending the Coyotes at all, they don't deserve defended, but – this could like this very well could be a it could have been a disgruntled employee kind of thing where like Katie gets you know somebody reaches out to her and says hey I got all this stuff about Arizona and I want to share it with you and she looks through it and she can call the Coyotes and say like hey listen I had this all provided to me and they can say like yeah listen that person screwed up in this way shape and form and we had to get rid of them unfortunately what they're sharing with you is inaccurate whatever but like that's clearly not the case when you get fifty people and a bunch of people who basically have said like this is bad and it's getting worse. Like, so that's a huge, huge red flag in that story. Yeah. I, um, I wouldn't be too worried if I was, if I was Katie Strang or the athletic, because I, I think it's pretty clear that the coyotes probably actually couldn't afford the lawyers. <laughs> to do them. So most of the I people Jack in America that tell you that they're going to see you actually don't have the money to do so. It's like a very American thing to threaten mm -hmm. Something that costs a money that you don't have. <laughs> it's like a wholly American thing to do. Um, the 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 one part that I can't I can't get out of my head that we got to talk about is them blaming the drafting of whatever that idiot kid's name was, the racist. Um, blaming it oh, on Mitch. a yeah, blaming it on the team's mental performance coach who wasn't at the draft meeting. Had no had no involvement in the process on drafting players, and they literally were like, "Yeah, it's her fault." Like, just yeah, despicable. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, player. Yeah, it's like how Dan Potash is responsible for the Jack Johnson signing, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Duh, you got the papers, Jimmy. Two time, you got the papers. Got the papers. Yeah, I think it's time we hear from the people. Let me drop these beats. Okay, so obviously with Mike out doing his thing, wearing sandals like a maniac, uh, I'll be taking over correspondences this week. And we got a lot of good ones, uh, you know, a lot of good mix of hockey and non-hockey. So we'll kind of go back and forth here. 
And here's one that I think is a good place to start. It's a hockey one. It's from Zach T. I think you guys can have some good insight onto this. Zach asks, gents, systematically speaking, if a team is pressing late in a period or at the end of a game when down by one, why wouldn't you ice five forwards? Not a joke. I'm genuinely curious as to why no one has tried it. Yeah, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's a good question. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't, because because we lack creativity uh, and are afraid of like very simple like stuff like stuff like this that's not difficult, that's not hard to do, right? That's not that shouldn't be life life altering. Uh, would be so much more fun uh, if it existed, but we don't we don't take it that direction. Yeah, I, I think the 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 devil's advocate to, to what Jesse's saying would be that uh, you know playing defense, even if you're doing it in an offensive capacity, is not the same as as playing forward. And I'm sure that there are teams that would say, well, our our offensive defenseman, you know, our our Chris Letang, is is more suited towards running offense from the point and breaking the puck out and doing things like that than if you just threw Jake Gensel there. So, yeah, I, and I mean like situationally too. Like if you were going to go six, yeah. like if you were at the end of a night and it wasn't going well and you needed one, you know, might as well just throw six of them out there. What the hell? Yeah, and I, I think it's something we're going to see a little bit more in the next ten or so years. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more positionless hockey just because that's how the game's evolving. But at the same time, hockey is inherently a risk-averse sport, especially in the NHL. Like, everything is risk aversion. You know, people are too worried about losing jobs or making mistakes that they always go to the safe play. However, I do got to agree with these guys in the sense that it's a lot harder to do this in practice than it is in theory because this kind of operates under the assumption that you're pressing in the offensive zone and you have possession and you're getting chances. It doesn't take into account the defensive zone and the neutral zone. If you lose possession, if the other team gets... Uh, a breakout and a chance to go over at an empty net or you know your goalie or if you have to break it out of your zone and you have to get through the neutral zone and out of the defensive zone and into the offensive zone so it's difficult but I think it's something we might see a little bit more of over the next 10 years as hockey evolves what else we got so, let's switch it up here uh let's go to non-hockey Jack can give us a look at uh what it's like up in Toronto we can throw our Pittsburgh uh, experience into this, Jesse. Dominion17 asks, in your opinion, which place sells the best donuts? I have always held Krispy Kreme as king. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll come, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll come right out here on behalf of uh, Canadians and, and buck the stereotype and say that uh, Timmy's donuts have been awful for at least the past decade and probably more than that. Uh, mm. I mean, they're just, they're frozen, they're you know, a lot of the time the consistency is really weird in them. It, it just, it, it's not the same as, as what I remember from, from when I was a kid. And I think there's, that's not just my nostalgia talking. I think there's actually something to back that up. Uh, I'm not a huge donut guy, to be honest with you, but I will happily go anywhere that has that little mini donut conveyor belt and then chucks them with cinnamon sugar at the end of it. So if you got one of those, you're fine by me, no matter where you are. Yeah, down in uh, Deep Creek in Maryland, which is like uh, it's like about two hours from Pittsburgh, a great little vacation resort uh, right on the border of West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. There is a donut place, Deep Creek Donuts, that does the conveyor belt. And I, I can vouch for that. Any place that has the minis uh, that, that come right out of the fryer 
that they just hit different. I'm going to go in a different direction. It's no surprise. Anyone who listens to the show knows I'm partial to all things Beaver County, um, which, by the way, Jack, is like the, the hoop-de-doo county right next to the one that Pittsburgh's in. Uh, it's, uh, there's a place out there called Max Donuts. There's a little chain of them. There's probably like still three or four of them that are around, but they're big. They're really big. Um, powdery, fluffy. The f- anything that has filling has an obscene amount of filling. Anything that's powdered has an obscene amount of powdered sugar on it. They're just like monstrosities, and they're they're just really good. Uh, the joke always like they open at four a.m. So the joke always in college used to be like if you were up till two, you only needed to wait a, you know two more hours for Max to open before you had to get there. So you could you could make it if you could find that last two hours energy. Yeah, Max's is really good. Uh, I've had it a couple times. That's a good call. Um, if you're talking chain, it's Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme is on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from my side of the city, Jesse, from Allegheny County, I got to go Oakmont Bakery, man. What like they, they don't miss on anything ever. There's like a, a you know, I know like Prantles burnt almond tort gets all the love and for a good reason. But like Oakmont Bakery has a dope burnt almond tort in their own right. I'm just saying yeah. don't don't sleep, don't on, sleep it. on it. Yeah, it's just so far out of the way, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not in your it's not in your route. I just got to go up the back hill, and I'm basically right at it. So it's like even like Beaver County folks, like that's a good that's a good hike to get out there. All right, let's uh, let's do a little hockey hypothetical here. Uh, this one comes from True North Pens fan. Does Sidney Crosby's career path keep him in Pittsburgh after his playing career? Meaning, is he following in Mario's footsteps in any way? How do you guys feel about this? I personally, I think Crosby retires a penguin. I think that whole, well, yeah, for sure. That whole, you know, hour of panic that everybody on Twitter had like a week and a half ago when was it, um, Drager was on sports center and was like, Oh, you know, I could see him fitting in with, uh, you know, like a Boston or a Colorado. It's like, we're really going to take Drager freestyling on a sports center hit is like some confirmed like report. Like the dude called into sports center and was just kind of, chopping it up with the guys on the panel so like Crosby's not going anywhere 87 is going to be in the rafters and he's not going to wear another jersey yeah um I could see him in, involved in like management at some capacity later in life I wouldn't rule that out I could see it if Sidney Crosby was going to start up a Pittsburgh-based business what would it be I'm going like Range Rover dealership <laughs> Can you get uh, Max Max Talbot to do the commercials? Probably, he's available. Max and, Max and Arm Dog doing the commercials—you can't lose. Be people Wait. with all kinds of money they don't have down there lining up to buy Range Rovers. We <laughs> <laughs> go off board. He'd start a tailoring business. That's true too. Also, solid one. Yeah, but but like specialized for men with abnormally large legs. <laughs> yeah, Sidney Crosby's tailored for huge asses. I don't think that's a the company name he's going to go with, but think about it. Yeah, I, I just like I, I have a difficult time imagining him as a coach or GM. Like he'll definitely do something hockey related because like that's just like the only thing that he seems remotely interested in. 
Uh, I mean, it, as fun, it would be funny if he decided to keep going with this like history degree that he seems to be moving towards and like just got a PhD and became a tenured professor, but, and then turned into Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's more likely that he comes back to Halifax for a bit, chills out for like five years. And then, you know, I mean, Steve Eiserman seems to be his idol. So I could totally see him, you know, doing the Eiserman thing where he sticks with one organization, like his entire career. And then, dips for a second and then drops back in in some kind of behind-the-scenes capacity. Okay, I got two more. Uh, one more hockey one, and then we will do this one here. This is a good little conversation starter. This comes from Brad. You suddenly get back the invincibility of your 22-year-old self and go out for a night, also assuming that there's no pandemic. What are you drinking? Yingling. And I'll do shots of uh, Washington apples. That's a that's a college shot if I've ever heard one. Uh, give me the uh, the the Toronto special, uh, what we call around here a one arm scissor, uh, which the the at the driving song is named after, uh, and that would be a vodka Red Bull. And and by a vodka Red Bull, I mean several in very short <laughs> percent. The uh, the only uh, foolproof cure to having a hangover the next day, as long as you drink a little bit of water. Dude, I like looking back being 30 now, like I can't believe I ever drank vodka Red Bulls because like now like I have a cup of coffee past noon. I'm like, oh, great. Not falling asleep tonight. This is awesome. But like I could drink like 15 vodka Red Bulls and be like, ah, I got eight hours of sleep. This is great. And and diabetes. Yeah. But then uh, but what I'd be drinking, uh, some kind of a whiskey ginger and probably after a few of those crappy light beer until last call. Yeah. All right, let's end on a nice little Penguins history debate here. This comes from David James. He asks, do you think the Flower was the greatest goalie for the Pens, or was he just simply the best goalie to have played for them? I don't know, man. I'm... I think we, we both signed side in perfect unison, and I think probably for a similar reason. Uh, I, I have come out and said that I am not a huge Marc-Andre Fleury fan. Uh, I think maybe part of that is that I'm not in the city, so I didn't get like swept up in like the romantic fervor around him. I never saw his smile in person, so maybe that's affecting me. But uh, I, I honestly would consider him to be a pretty overrated goalie based on his time in Pittsburgh. And, and I feel like memory will probably serve him pretty well now that we're far away enough from that procession of playoff catastrophes. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I am not familiar really enough with our goaltending history to, to make a definitive statement, but honestly, I mean, Barrasso has two cup rings that he earned as a starter. Right. Flurry has one, so you kind of, well, have to... so you, you've like broached a very important subject and, and allow me to like paint this picture for you because like, no offense, like you're, you know, you're the younger generation. Tom Barrasso doesn't get the love in the city cause he was a, he was a jerk. Like he, nobody wanted to talk to him. Like he, he wasn't available to the media. He kept to himself. Um, you know, he didn't have, he was the basically personality wise was the antithesis of Mark Andre Fleury, the exact opposite human. And that's not to say like he was a bad person. He just didn't want to do like the media thing. You know, he didn't have interest in that. he wanted to be a goalie. Uh, he was very private, but he kept to himself. Um, 
And, you know, I think at the end of his tenure here was unceremonious. And I think like history rewritten, right, is, is you know, maybe he wasn't as great or he didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like the, what a volatile job, you know? I mean, the, the Penguins, like a lot of those teams didn't even try to play defense. <laughs> it, wasn't even like an, it wasn't even a thought in their mind. Uh, and it wasn't an easy job. Uh, I think he did it really well. It's his puck playing ability transcended the position in a lot of ways. Like his ability to get the puck in Mario's hands, 35, 40 feet up ice safely. Like that alone puts him in a category above Marc-Andre Fleury for me. I mean, how many times did like Fleury go out of the net and your butthole clench up and think like, oh God, you know, like what's going to, what's going to happen next? You know, with Barrasso, it was more like, oh shit, he just threw a 55 foot outlet past the Mario Lemieux and put him on a breakaway. I, I'm going to put a target on my back here, and and if I in case I ever come to Pittsburgh and say, I think that there's maybe a chance that the best goalie to ever play for the Penguins, not necessarily based on his own tenure here, might have been Thomas Vokun. There's I you get no argument out of me on that. No, he did a lot with he did a lot with what he had, but I kind of got to I got to go with what Jesse was saying too. Like I think the best that's ever played for the Penguins is Tom Barrasso. Because he he stole a good few games and and Flurry did as well, but like you don't think that the you know mid two thousands to now Penguins didn't play defense. The nineties Penguins played less. Like so, the fact that that man had to steal games and did is nothing short of miraculous. But the other thing to remember when it comes to goaltending in Pittsburgh, and I've said this all the time, I said it all the way through Flurry's tenure in Pittsburgh was. The Penguins don't need a Martin Brodeur, a Carey Price, anything like that. Like, the Penguins need a goalie who is good enough to win a game and good enough to keep them in a game. They don't need a guy to steal one. They they have consistently had the horses to win games 5-4, 6-5, 7-6, whatever you call it, so long as the goalie isn't a liability. And that's kind of where the, the grape juice stain is on Marc-Andre Fleury's resume, is that while he wasn't the reason to me that they didn't win the Stanley cup between 2012 and 2015. He didn't help either. So like, that's kind of a problem. Tom Barrasso should be in the hall of fame. He absolutely shouldn't. It was because of what you said, not doing the media stuff and being kind of an asshole. Like people didn't like him. So here's some, here's some things to chew on Tom Barrasso that people don't know about him. Uh, He got drafted the year I was born. It was a long time ago, but he's the only goalie ever, ever in the National Hockey League to play hockey in the league directly out of high school. He did not play one game in the minors or in college, ever. Then he wins the Vezina. (laughs) The youngest goalie to ever win a Vezina, youngest goalie to win a Calder. Um, I mean, he's already in the United States Hockey Hall of Fame, but he's also got the Cups. Like that, that's, that's the critical piece to this, that penguins, those penguins teams, fire wagon, like just no care about defense at all. You look at those playoff performances. He had two 10 goals against average nine twenty save percentage. That was in 91, 2.8 goals against nine Oh seven and 92, which was arguably harder on him defensively. Right. Given the environment. Um, and in the, in were, the early, in the early nineties to have those kind of numbers, unheard of on this team especially i mean you know that's 
that's the crazy part. And um, people don't remember um, that he retired. He ended up retiring a penguin because he went to St. Louis for a while after he left Pittsburgh, played some time in Toronto, and then ended up signing one of those like, you know, one dayers to come back and, and retire here. But like people don't talk about that. You know, they don't remember that. And maybe it was just because of the star power that team had, right? Like, you know, there's so much, you know, Ron Francis, Mary Lemieux, you know, Ron Miriaga, all that. Maybe that's what it is. You know, maybe there's a part of it. Maybe it's like the fact that he was kind of like, you know, like you said, sort of, we all said sort of porcupine-ish, you know. Um, but for me, it's it's dumb that he's not in there. It's stupid. And I, you know, I, I, you know, maybe it's the absence makes the heart grow fonder or the opposite of that in this case, because he's not around, you don't see him, you know, he doesn't participate in a lot of stuff and that's just kind of who he is as a person, but, um, make no mistake, you know, they, they got big saves at other guys and that, and those runs, you know, Frank Peter Angelo was a great example, but, um, they, without him, they don't, they just don't have five cups period. I think the answer is obviously Danny Sabrin, and uh, here's why. <laughs> Thread Mark one time. Andy Kyoto. Thread Andy one Kyoto. slash X. Andy Kyoto is a rough one though. Um, Kyoto was rough. But everybody loved him because he broke. He was in net when they broke the 18 game losing streak. Not uh, pointless uh, streak, losing streak. <laughs> who else are we missing here? Oh, Ty Conklin. It's on Sebastian Aubin. That's right. Uh, J.I. Saban. I always forget about him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Brent Johnson, uh, Jocelyn Tebow. Jocelyn Tebow was a big I had one. A, I have a friend that I went to high school with that was like the he, – he still does it to this day. Or they do it – they still do it to this day. They know who they are. So I uh, – sorry, I said he um, just picks the most obscure teams and players and just goes die hard for them. And he, they loved Tebow. Mine was Garmont Titov back in the day. I, I my, I'm not even lying, is, was Danny Zabrin. Like when I was like 11 or 12 years old and he was, and he was like the backup behind Flurry. I think Flurry got hurt. And so Sabrin like took the net for a while for whatever reason. And I could not tell you why he was like my favorite goalie for like a couple of months. I actually have his, uh, the one bit of hockey memorabilia that I have is, uh, his winter classic stick from 2008 that he like used as like the backup and in warmups and stuff. Just because for some inexplicable reason, I was a big fan. Conklin started that game, right? Yes. Because Flurry was out with the high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. Irish Ty Conklin. Well, we're going to end the show on a shout out to Danny Sabrin. There's no better way to put it down. There's no better way to put it down. That's just it. Um, you can um, follow Jack on Twitter at JFresh. Um, also, uh, what, what, tell, you got other stuff going on. I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, yeah, you talked about I, the I, Patreon page, but you got, you got even more than that. Tell the people what's, what's up. Yeah, I will say uh, it's at J fresh hockey. If you follow at J fresh, uh, you're going to just see like a mediocre DJ. I'm pretty sure. So definitely keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. So not bad. Of, yeah. On top of the, uh, Scotia bank presents J fresh Patreon, which Jesse has been kind enough <laughs> to shout out throughout the podcast. Uh, yeah, I also am have inexplicably become a professional hockey writer uh, in the past month. Uh, I am with uh, EP Rinkside. I uh, joined that along with uh, Dmitry Filipovich, uh, Ryan Lambert, Mitch Brown, and, and a whole lot of other talented people. Uh, so make sure to check that out. Uh, and yeah, I mean, other than tweeting far too often, I think that pretty much covers uh, what I'm putting out there. 
We're definitely going to have you back, man. Appreciate you spending the full time with us and, and um, not wearing sandals during the winter. Um, for Pat, uh, for myself, for Mike, who's not with us, appreciate everybody checking us out. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon with more Hockey Talk. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.